0: Welcome to All Things Eerie, a collection of spooky tales brought to you by the Nashville Public Library. Here we welcome the unwelcome, try to settle the unsettling, and play host to the undeparted, the undead, and, shall we say, the unreasonable. As we enter the land of shadows and uncertainty, the twilight of your imagination, relax while we pull aside the curtain. Indeed, lift the veil of the secret and unknown. And don't look around too much. It's bad for the nerves. Pull your blanket tight around you and make way for this evening's selection. We introduce our new podcast with a very special ghost story. This one by Mr. Dickens, whom we all know as one of the most prolific and beloved authors of the 19th century. Charles Dickens created some of the world's best-known fictional characters, and is regarded by many to be the greatest novelist of the Victorian era. His works enjoyed unprecedented popularity during his lifetime, and, by the twentieth century, critics and scholars had recognized him as a literary genius famous for the silly and laughable names of his characters and the very disturbing ghosts who often feature in his stories, Mr. Dickens presents us this evening with a little of both in a story called The Baron of Grogswig, and at the end of the story provides us with some sage advice for times when we seem to have too many awful troubles. And speaking of genius, there is one in this story whom it would not be fun to encounter. Be careful. Now, turn down the lights and join us for The Baron of Grogswig by Charles Dickens. The Baron von Coldwithout without of Grogswig in Germany was as likely a young baron as you would wish to see. I needn't say that he lived in a castle, because that's of course. Neither need I say that he lived in an old castle, for what German baron ever lived in a new one? There were many strange circumstances connected with this venerable building, among which not the least startling and mysterious were that when the wind blew it rumbled in the chimneys or even howled among the trees in the neighboring forest, and that when the moon shone she found her way through certain small loopholes in the wall and actually made some parts of the wide halls and galleries quite light while she left others in gloomy shadow. I believe that one of the baron's ancestors, being short of money, had inserted a dagger in a gentleman who called one night to ask his way, and it was supposed that these miraculous occurrences took place in consequence. And yet I hardly know how that could have been either, because the baron's ancestor, who was an amiable man, felt very sorry afterwards for having been so rash, and laying violent hands upon a quantity of stone and timber which belonged to a weaker baron built a chapel as an apology, and so took a receipt from heaven in full of all demands. Talking of the baron's ancestor puts me in mind of the baron's great claims to respect on the score of his pedigree. I am afraid to say I am sure how many ancestors the baron had, but I know that he had a great many more than any other man of his time, and I only wish that he had lived in these latter days that he might have had more. It is a very hard thing upon the great men of past centuries that they should have come into the world so soon, because a man who was born three or four hundred years ago cannot reasonably be expected to have had as many relations before him as a man who is born now. The last man, whoever he is, and he may be a cobbler or some low vulgar dog for aught we know, will have a longer pedigree than the greatest nobleman now alive, and I contend that this is not fair. Well, But the Baron von Koldwith out of grogswig he was a fine, swarthy fellow with dark hair and large mustachios, who rode a hunting in clothes of Lincoln Green, with russet boots on his feet, and a bugle slung over his shoulder, like the guard of a long stage. When he blew this bugle, four and twenty other gentlemen of inferior rank, in Lincoln Green a little coarser and russet boots with a little thicker soles, turned out directly, and away galloped the whole train, with spears in their hands like lacquered area railings, to hunt down the boars or perhaps encounter a bear, in which latter case the baron killed him first and greased his whiskers with him afterward. This was a merry life for the baron of Grogswig, and a merrier still for the baron's retainers, who drank Rhine wine every night till they fell under the table, and then had the bottles on the floor, and called for pipes. Never were such jolly, roistering, rollicking, merrymaking blades as the jovial crew of Grogswig. But the pleasures of the table, or the pleasures of under the table, require a little variety— "'especially when the same five-and-twenty people "'sit down to the same board "'to discuss the same subjects and tell the same stories. "'The baron grew weary and wanted excitement. "'He took to quarrelling with his gentlemen "'and tried kicking two or three of them "'every day after dinner. "'This was a pleasant change at first, "'but it became monotonous after a week or so, "'and the baron felt quite out of sorts "'and cast about in despair for some new amusement. "'One night,' After a day's sport in which he had outdone Nimrod or Gillingwater, and slaughtered another fine bear, and brought him home in triumph, the Baron von Kuldewithout sat moodily at the head of his table, eyeing the smoky roof of the hall with a discontented aspect. He swallowed huge bumpers of wine, but the more he swallowed the more he frowned. The gentlemen who had been honored with the dangerous distinction of sitting on his right and left imitated him to a miracle in the drinking, and frowned at each other. I will cried the Baron suddenly smiting the table with his right hand and twirling his moustache with his left, fill to the Lady of Grogswig, the four-and-twenty Lincoln Greens turned pale with the exception of their four-and-twenty noses, which were unchangeable. I said to the Lady of Grogswig, repeated the Baron, looking round the board. "'To the Lady of Grogswig!' shouted the Lincoln Greens, "'and down their four-and-twenty throats went four-and-twenty "'imperial pints of such rare old hock "'that they smacked their eight-and-forty lips and winked again. "'The fair daughter of the Baron von Swillenhausen,' "'said cold without, condescending to explain, "'we will demand her in marriage of her father ere the sun goes down to-morrow. "'If he refuse our suit, we will cut off his nose.' A hoarse murmur arose from the company. Every man touched first the hilt of his sword and then the tip of his nose with appalling significance. What a pleasant thing filial piety is to contemplate! If the daughter of the Baron von Swillenhausen had pleaded a preoccupied heart, or fallen at her father's feet, and corned them in salt tears, or only fainted away and complimented the old gentleman in frantic ejaculations, the odds are a hundred to one, but Swillenhausen Castle would have been turned out at window, or rather the baron turned out at window, and the castle demolished. The damsel held her peace, however, when an early messenger bore the request of von Kuldewith out next morning, and modestly retired to her chamber, from the casement of which she watched the coming of the suitor and his retinue. She was no sooner assured that the horseman with the large mustachios was her proffered husband than she hastened to her father's presence and expressed her readiness to sacrifice herself to secure his peace the venerable baron caught his child into his arms and shed a wink of joy. There was a great feasting at the castle that day. The four and twenty Lincoln Greens of von Kuldewithout exchanged vows of eternal friendship with twelve Lincoln Greens of von Swillenhausen and promised the old baron that they would drink his wine till all was blue, meaning probably until their whole countenances had acquired the same tint as their noses. "'Everybody slapped everybody else's back when the time for parting came, "'and the Baron von Koldwithout and his followers rode gaily home. "'For six mortal weeks the bears and boars had a holiday. "'The houses of Kuldwithout and Swillenhausen were united, "'the spears rusted, and the Baron's bugle grew hoarse for lack of blowing.' Those were great times for the 4 and 20 but, alas, their high and palmy days had taken boots to themselves and were already walking off. "'My dear,' said the baroness. "'My love,' said the baron. "'Those coarse, noisy men.' "'Which ma'am?' said the baron, starting." The baroness pointed from the window at which they stood to the courtyard beneath, where the unconscious Lincoln Greens were taking a copious stirrup-cup, preparatory to issuing forth after a boar or two. "'My hunting train, ma'am,' said the baron. "'Disband them, love,' murmured the baroness. "'Disband them!' cried the baron, in amazement. "'To please me, love,' said the baroness. "'To please the devil, ma'am!' answered the baron, whereupon the baroness uttered a great cry and swooned away at the baron's feet. What could the baron do? He called for the lady's maid, and roared for the doctor, and then, rushing into the yard, kicked the two Lincoln greens, who were the most used to it, and cursing the others all round, bade them go, but never mind where, I don't know the German for it, or I would put it delicately that way. It is not for me to say by what means or by what degrees some wives manage to keep down some husbands as they do, although I may have my private opinion on the subject and may think that no member of Parliament ought to be married inasmuch as three married members out of every four must vote according to their wives' consciences, if there be such things, and not according to their own. All I need say just now is— that the Baroness von Koldewithout somehow or other acquired great control over the Baron von Koldewithout, and that, little by little, and bit by bit, and day by day, and year by year, the Baron got the worst of some disputed question, or was slyly unhorsed from some old hobby, and that by the time he was a fat-hearty fellow of forty-eight or thereabouts, he had no feasting, no revelry, no hunting train, and no hunting, nothing in short that he liked or used to have. "'and that, although he was as fierce as a lion and bold as brass, "'he was decidedly snubbed and put down by his own lady "'in his own castle of Grogswick. "'Nor was this the whole extent of the baron's misfortunes. "'About a year after his nuptials, "'there came into the world a lusty young baron, "'in whose honour a great many fireworks were let off, "'and a great many dozens of wine drunk. "'But next year there came a young baroness.' and next year another young baron, and so on every year, either a baron or baroness, and one year both together, until the baron found himself the father of a small family of twelve. Upon every one of these anniversaries, the venerable Baroness von Swillenhausen was nervously sensitive for the well-being of her child, the Baroness von Koldewithout, and although it was not found that the good lady ever did anything material towards contributing to her child's recovery, still she made it a point of duty to be as nervous as possible at the castle of Grogswig, and to divide her time between moral observations on the baron's housekeeping and bewailing the hard lot of her unhappy daughter. And if the Baron of Grogswig, a little hurt and irritated at this, took heart and ventured to suggest that his wife was at least no worse off than the wives of other barons, the Baroness von Swillenhausen begged all persons to take notice that nobody but she sympathized with her dear daughter's sufferings, upon which her relations and friends remarked that to be sure she did cry a great deal more than her son-in-law, and that if there were a hard-hearted brute alive, it was the Baron of Grogswig. The poor baron bore it all, as long as he could, and when he could bear it no longer, lost his appetite and his spirits, and sat himself gloomily and dejectedly down. But there were worse troubles yet in store for him, and as they came on, his melancholy and sadness increased. Times changed. He got into debt. The Grogswig coffers ran low, though the Swillenhausen family had looked upon them as inexhaustible and just when the baroness was on the point of making a thirteenth addition to the family pedigree, von Koldwith discovered that he had no means of replenishing them. "'I don't see what is to be done,' said the baron. "'I think I'll kill myself.' This was a bright idea. The baron took an old hunting knife from a cupboard hard by, and having sharpened it on his boot, made what boys call an offer at his throat. "'Hem!' "'said the baron, stopping short. "'Perhaps it's not sharp enough.' "'The baron sharpened it again "'and made another offer "'when his hand was arrested "'by a loud screaming "'among the young barons and baronesses "'who had a nursery in an upstairs tower "'with iron bars outside the window "'to prevent their tumbling out into the moat. "'If I had been a bachelor,' "'said the baron, sighing, "'I might have done it fifty times over "'without being interrupted. "'Hello!' Put a flask of wine in the largest pipe in the little vaulted room behind the hall. One of the domestics, in a very kind manner, executed the baron's order in the course of half an hour or so, and von without being apprised thereof, strode to the vaulted room, the walls of which, being of dark shining wood, gleamed in the light of the blazing logs which were piled upon the hearth. The bottle and pipe were ready, and upon the whole the place looked very comfortable. "'Leave the lamp,' said the baron. "'Anything else, my lord?' inquired the domestic. "'The room,' replied the baron. "'The domestic obeyed, and the baron locked the door. "'I'll smoke a last pipe,' said the baron, "'and then I'll be off.' "'So, putting the knife upon the table till he wanted it, "'and tossing off a goodly measure of wine, "'the lord of Grogswig threw himself back in his chair, "'stretched his legs out before the fire, and puffed away.' He thought about a great many things, about his present troubles in past days of bachelorship, and about the Lincoln Greens, long since disappeared up and down the country no one knew whither, with the exception of two who had been unfortunately beheaded, and four who had killed themselves with drinking. His mind was running upon bears and boars, when, in the process of draining his glass to the bottom, he raised his eyes and saw, for the first time with unbounded astonishment, that he was not alone. No, he was not, for on the opposite side of the fire there sat with folded arms a wrinkled, hideous figure with deeply sunk and bloodshot eyes and an immensely long, cadaverous face shadowed by jagged and matted locks of coarse black hair. He wore a kind of tunic of a dull bluish color which the Baron observed on regarding it attentively was clasped or ornamented down the front with coffin handles. His legs, too, were encased in coffin plates, as though in armor, and over his left shoulder he wore a short, dusky cloak, which seemed made of a remnant of some pall. He took no notice of the baron, but was intently eyeing the fire. "'Hallo!' said the baron, stamping his foot to attract attention. "'Hallo!' replied the stranger, moving his eyes towards the baron, but not his face or himself. "'What now?' "'What now?' replied the baron, nothing daunted by his hollow voice and lustreless eyes. I should ask that question. How did you get here? Through the door, replied the figure. What are you? said the baron. A man, replied the figure. I don't believe it, says the baron. Disbelieve it then, says the figure. I will, rejoined the baron. The figure looked at the bold baron of Grogswig for some time, and then said familiarly, There's no coming over you, I see. I'm not a man. What are you then? asked the baron. A genius, replied the figure. You don't much look like one, returned the baron scornfully. I am the genius of despair and suicide, said the apparition. Now you know me. With these words the apparition turned towards the baron, as if composing himself for a talk, and what was very remarkable was that he threw his cloak aside and displaying a stake which was run through the center of his body, pulled it out with a jerk and laid it on the table as composedly as if it had been a walking stick. "'Now,' said the figure, glancing at the hunting knife, "'are you ready for me?' "'Not quite,' rejoined the baron.' "'I must finish this pipe first. "'Look sharp, then,' said the figure. "'You seem in a hurry,' said the baron. "'Why, yes, I am,' answered the figure. "'They're doing a pretty brisk business in my way "'over in England and France just now, "'and my time is a good deal taken up.' "'Do you drink?' said the baron, "'touching the bottle with the bowl of his pipe. Nine times out of ten, and then very hard,' "'rejoined the figure dryly. "'Never in moderation?' asked the baron. Never, replied the figure with a shudder. That breeds cheerfulness. The baron took another look at his new friend, whom he thought an uncommonly queer customer, and at length inquired whether he took any active part in such little proceedings as that which he had in contemplation. No, replied the figure evasively, but I am always present. Just to see fair, I suppose, said the baron. Just that. "'replied the figure, playing with the stake "'and examining the feral. "'Be as quick as you can, will you? "'For there's a young gentleman "'who is afflicted with too much money and leisure "'wanting me now, I find. "'Going to kill himself because he has too much money?' "'exclaimed the baron, quite tickled. "'Ha, ha, that's a good one.' "'This was the first time the baron had laughed "'for many a long day. "'I say,' expostulated the figure, "'looking very much scared, "'don't do that again.' Why not? demanded the baron. Because it gives me pain all over, replied the figure. Sigh as much as you please. That does me good. The baron sighed mechanically at the mention of the word. The figure, brightening up again, handed him the hunting knife with the most winning politeness. It's not a bad idea, though, said the baron, feeling the edge of the weapon. A man killing himself because he has too much money. Poo! said the apparition, petulantly. No better than a man's killing himself because he has none or little. Whether the genius unintentionally committed himself in saying this, or whether he thought the baron's mind was so thoroughly made up that it didn't matter what he said, I have no means of knowing. I only know that the baron stopped his hand all of a sudden, opened his eyes wide, and looked as if quite a new light had come upon him for the first time. Why, certainly, said von Koldwithout, "Without Nothing is too bad to be retrieved. Except empty coffers, cried the genius. Well, but they may be one day filled again, said the baron. Scolding wives, snarled the genius. Oh, they may be made quiet, said the baron. Thirteen children, shouted the genius. Can't all go wrong, surely, said the baron. The genius was evidently growing very savage with the baron for holding these opinions all at once, but he tried to laugh it off and said if he would let him know when he had left off joking, he should feel very obliged to him. "'But I am not joking. I was never farther from it,' remonstrated the baron. "'Well, I am glad to hear that,' said the genius, looking very grim, "'because a joke without any figure of speech is the death of me. Come, quit this dreary world at once.' "'I don't know,' said the baron, playing with the knife. "'It's a dreary one, certainly, but I don't think yours is much better, "'for you have not the appearance of being particularly comfortable. "'That puts me in mind. "'What security have I that I shall be any better "'for going out of the world after all?' he cried, starting up. "'I never thought of that.' "'Dispatch!' cried the figure, gnashing his teeth. "'Keep off!' said the baron. "'I'll brood over miseries no longer, but put a good face on the matter "'and try the fresh air in the bears again, and if that don't do, "'I'll talk to the baroness soundly and cut the von Swillenhausens dead.' "'With this the baron fell into his chair and laughed so loud and boisterously "'that the room rang with it. "'The figure fell back a pace or two, regarding the baron meanwhile "'with a look of intense terror, and when he had ceased, caught up the stake, "'plunged it violently into his body, "'uttered a frightful howl, and disappeared. "'Von Kold without never saw it again. "'Having once made up his mind to action, "'he soon brought the Baroness and the von Swillenhausens to reason, "'and died many years afterwards. "'Not a rich man that I am aware of, but certainly a happy one, "'leaving behind him a numerous family "'who had been carefully educated in bear and boar hunting "'under his own personal eye.' and my advice to all men is that if ever they become hipped and melancholy from similar causes, as very many men do, they look at both sides of the question, applying a magnifying glass to the best one, and if they still feel tempted to retire without leave, that they smoke a large pipe and drink a full bottle first, and profit by the laudable example of the Baron of Grogswig. Thanks for being with us and for listening to All Things Eerie. For more shivers, stories, and episodes, visit the Nashville Public Library website at library.nashville.org. Feel free to leave requests or suggestions. Original music for this podcast is by Dawn Northwind and was produced and recorded by Adam Dean. Art design is by Allison Price. NPL Studio Engineering is by Forrest Eagle. All of whom, with me, send their very best wishes to you for a very good night.